This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Tiansen. And a good, good day to everyone out there listening to us on TPF Live, the podcast edition here on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Rob Tiongson. Joined alongside, as always, Nathan Solomon. And we're so glad you could join us for the fastest hour of racing talk because we've got a lot to get to you on this edition of TPF Live. Now, the reason why I say we have a lot to get to is because it's the post-Talladega pre-Dover edition. And if you've been paying attention to our podcast, well, then you know for a fact that we have a lot of excitement for episode 27 because Nathan Solomon, who covered his first TPF race earlier this month at Richmond Raceway, he is going to be back at the racetrack to close out April and begin the month of May at Dover Motor Speedway. That's right. Dover Motor Speedway, because he will be there with our photographers, Josh Jones and Sam Dries. So we've got so much excitement at the racetrack, the Monster Mile, of course, and hopefully Miles the Monster doesn't plan to eat away at some things for our content, and rather we're going to be the ones enjoying being at the first state. And of course, as always with TPF Live, we've got some interviews to hear, air here rather, on the hot seat segment. And just like the previous two episodes, it's a double billing feature again, because today we're going to be joined by reigning NASCAR Xfinity Series champion Daniel Hemrick, and we've got upcoming ARCA and NASCAR Xfinity Series competitor Raja Karuth. So, yes, a little bit of everything here, a bit of a cable guy episode, if you will, of TPF Live. Now, before I do introduce my co-host Nathan Solomon, I think I probably should address something that has been going on, and we'll probably get to it actually during the Podium Perspective segment, but, you know... Obviously, this is being recorded on Tuesday evening, uh, which is, of course, half a day before we air on WSBU 88.3 FM and when Nathan uploads this to the podcasting channels for us. Now, obviously, if you saw on Monday afternoon, NASCAR Cup Series competitor Danny Hamlin was tweeting a Family Guy clip and it was trying to poke fun at Kyle Larson who is our reigning NASCAR Cup Series champion and also the only Asian-American driver in the Cup Series full-time. Well, the clip was to try to elicit humor about Larson's tangles with Kurt Busch and Bubba Wallace, the drivers for 23-11 racing on the final lap at Talladega Super Speedway. Now, maybe his intent was to try to be like, ha, 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 look at this. This is just like how Larson drove. But... Unfortunately, he chose a clip of an Asian woman from Family Guy, a random Asian woman, stereotypically being a bad driver and crashing her car. Now, I have a lot of folks, I've had a lot of folks on social media come up to me and say, I need to lighten up. I need to take a joke. I need to do this. I need to do that. And I don't know if you've noticed, folks, but I am one, maybe if, in this case, the only Asian American covering NASCAR. You know, there's a lot of other sports I could cover on my free time. And it's not like I'm being paid to do this. And it's not about money. It's not about trying to get new followers or, you know, asking Denny Hamlin to get canceled. But what I am asking Denny Hamlin and others out there who are like, it's just a joke. Get over it. No, it's not a joke. Racism 
in any form, whether it was so overt, like with Kyle Larson during the Monza Madness race on Easter Sunday, 2020, or something like what happened on Monday afternoon with Danny Hamlin on Twitter, as subtle as it is, racism is ugly. It's unacceptable. It's not needed. And I asked Danny Hamlin, I asked anyone out there on the social media world and the world of motorsports and NASCAR in particular, you all have to do better. You have to be considerate of others. This is not the past. This is not the good old white boy sport anymore. I don't know if you've noticed, but you know we've got an African-American driver. We've got a Mexican-American driver. We've got a Japanese-American driver. And oh yeah, by the way, the media center, it's not about, about having a bunch of old white men anymore. There's women in there. There's um, there's African-Americans, obviously me, one of the few Asian-Americans covering this sport. So NASCAR Nation, I'm very disappointed that you would choose to see, see basically the wrong side of the situation. It's not about, you know, wins or losses. This is just about being a decent human being. And I challenge all of you to try to be a better, decent human being. And Nathan and I, we're going to talk about this just because it is a topic that we need to approach and try to basically, you know, it's just difficult to put into words. It's the first time I'm publicly talking about this. And uh, yeah, I just felt like I needed to get that out there for now. And we'll get to it on putting perspectives. But right now, let's try to change the topic, topic a little bit and segue into my greeting with, of course, Nathan. Nathan, it's so good to see you and uh, trying to switch jokes aside. I'm a Red Sox fan and you're a Yankees fan. So I see that the fans at home can't see that you're wearing a Yankees shirt. So um, at least your Bronx Bombers are doing well. But I, I hope you're doing well and getting excited for Dover uh, Motor Speedway reaction. Yeah, I am doing well. Thanks, uh, of course, always for uh, you know being on here. Um, yeah, I'm super excited for for Dover this weekend. Obviously, uh, uh, super excited to to be at the track already for the second time this this season. So, um, you know, I've never really been to a race just you know this early in the season, nonetheless twice. Actually, well, three times now. If you're if we're gonna count the clash, second time covering those. So, um, pretty pretty happy, pretty excited to be you know so involved with uh, with NASCAR this year and. Uh, of, of course, you know, pumped to get uh, to get a lot, lot more content out there at the track as well. So it uh, should be an awesome weekend. I'm glad to be out there with another uh, another great group of photographers. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll bring back some more content for uh, for the podcast and for the website to enjoy. Absolutely. I know that you're definitely going to deliver on that. And I know on the website side of things and our social medias, uh, you're in great hands with Josh and Sam. And uh, Josh, I know, has been leading our photography team. For the last five years, and Sam just joined us as a freelancer, um, also from New York. So uh, pretty cool to see the Empire State Connection built ever ever so slowly building on TPF. And uh, like I said to folks on the previous podcast, if any of you fans see Nathan or any of us at the racetrack, don't hesitate to say hi. You know, we're always more than happy to take the time to to greet you for sure. And we'll actually talk a little bit more about Dover Motor Speedway action, of course, on the podcast edition. Now, before we get into podium perspectives, as I always say with every single one of these podcasts, if you are in the lookout for the latest diecast cars, whether that's NASCAR collectibles from Lionel Racing or IndyCar diecast movie and TV show cars, Greenlight Collectibles will have those. And I can tell you one place that will have those cars available, Brent Powell's website, circlebdiecast.com, circlebdiecast has all of the latest diecast cars, pre-order items, shirts, and hats to make you the most amazing fan around. 
And if you spend $30 or more on in-stock items or pre-order items that will be shipping at the same time, you can get free shipping by using, using promo code TPF2022. Use promo code TPF2022 to get free shipping on all of your orders that are shipping at the same time for pre-orders or in-stock items as long as it's $30 or more. Tell Brent and his gang that Rob Tiongson and Nathan Solomon sent you over and enjoy those cool collectibles to be the most hip fan around. Now that now that you've heard how this podcast is like and you've heard it for the last 26 episodes, which by the way makes this podcast half a year old, let's just get to the first segment of our program called Podium Perspectives. <laughs> Now, Talladega Super Speedway, prior to that race at least, you know, there's a little bit of anticipation, some buzz, some fear factor elements about it, just because it's a really massive super speedway. We know that drivers can go four, five wide, depending on where they're at on the racetrack. And oh yes, besides the great competition, we have those drivers who can unfortunately get involved in the big one. Well, Sunday's Geico 500 didn't really have a big one, which I'm thankful for. And the competition, I have to say, was really great. We saw a lot more parity than we did during the Daytona 500, with the Chevrolets finally figuring out how to draft with each other. The Fords, during their, their usual sneaky sort of racing etiquette, if you will, until uh, you know a wreck just before the halfway point took out Joey Logano, among others. And then, of course, Toyota finally getting into contention and, you know, two of their sort of reluctant super speedway specialists in Kyle Busch and Martin Tricks Jr. getting great finishes on Sunday. But ultimately, when it came down to it, Ross Chastain delivered yet again with another victory. And that means he's pretty much locked into the playoffs. And oh, by the way, the fun fact about it is that he used his car that he won at Coda at Talladega. So some of the cool elements of the next-gen car, we're starting to see that unfold. But Nathan, of course, I want to get your perspectives on everything that happened at Talladega in terms of the cup race, because I know you are a huge Super Speedway fan. So I'm just curious as to your perspectives of the Geico 500 and what stood out to you. Yeah, pretty unique, right? I mean, Ross Chastain, two wins on the same car at two vastly different racetracks, of course, a road course and a Super Speedway. That's pretty crazy that 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 can be done um with this new car but overall i thought it was a really great race and i i kind of didn't expect the race to play out that way because i think every speedway race ever that we can at least remember it in recent times fours have just dominated that was kind of not really the case they didn't um they didn't really put as much of an emphasis on qualifying they kind of started mid to back of the field like it just never really got up get up there then um, they kind of split their pit strategy into two. Some of the cars went, you know, one lap, some of them went the other lap. They just didn't have enough momentum to kind of get um, all caught up and really get to the front. And then, and, and then that, that wreck the, that took at Logano and uh, a couple of the, the other incidents earlier on, the Chase Briscoe incidents, a lot of Fords got, got taken out early. So they didn't really have a whole lot of dancing partners there later in the race. Um, and you know, Hendrick, they really dominated this race, which is a huge surprise in super speedways because they're certainly not known as the super, the super speedway racing bunch. And neither really is JGR. And they, and they were up front for most of the race, obviously. Um, 
most of, most of those Toyotas up there didn't really get um, the finish they would have liked. They all kind of dropped to the back, especially the 2311 cars who, who both wrecked there on that final lap. But um, really good race. I enjoyed how the final stage went green. Um, you know, I always like the anticipation of like of a super speedway race, like kind of like you know, just counting down, like forty to go, thirty to go, twenty to go, fifteen to go. You can just kind of feel that anticipation building, and that's exactly what happened. So it was really fun to watch. Um, cool to see some green flag pit stops. It always adds in, uh, another interesting ring at Talladega. Just having to get the car all the way woed down and you know not speed. And we saw a lot of pit road penalties too. So um, you know, like Brad Keselowski, a guy who was really in a must win situation there. Um, two pit road penalties really, you know, really ruined his day. Otherwise, he, he certainly would have been a contender for sure. So really enjoyed it. Not a whole lot of three-wide racing, mainly two-wide racing. But uh, so far, I'm definitely a fan of, fan of this Super Speedway package. And uh, hopefully, it'll pr- provide more, more exciting racing to come. Yeah, I really love the Geico 500. And it really did deliver on green <coughs> action. And, of course, a lot of what we want to see at a Super Speedway race without all the big crashes that, you know, you'll typically see on a promo clip. And the other thing that stood out to me too with, with uh, Sunday's race is the fact that Eric Jones, who was leading into the final laps of the race, you know, he actually raced the entire Geico 500 with the same left side tires. And when my Goodyear contact let me know about that, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. That's incredible. I mean, I know that Talladega, you don't really need to change four tires all the time. And the racetrack asphalt is relatively still young. I mean, it was last repaved in 2007. So it's not like, you know, we're talking about Atlanta Motor Speedway for so many years with the bumpy surface. But the fact that you could go the entire race and, you know, not have to change the left sides, that's a testament to crew chief Dave Allen's to even get his driver to be sold on that strategy. And I would dare say the 43 team is NASCAR Cup Series Racing's tire whisperers. Uh, So, you know, they didn't win the race. And I'm sure Eric Jones is probably replaying what happened on that last lap and going, you know, man, if I play that out a little bit better, if I had blocked Larson's move or didn't even worry about what he was going to do, maybe I would have been the one winning the race and I would have been the uh, next driver to make the playoffs. But as it is, you know, let's look at that top 10 finishing order. Of course, we've got Ross Chastain taking another win home for Trackhouse Racing. And the podium finishers included Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch. Kyle Larson, who finally finished a super speedway race in the top five, finished in fourth and earned 50 points, by the way, from the race. So it's almost like he had won based on the number of points, but ultimately got fourth place. And rounding out the top 10 includes Martin Truex Jr., the aforementioned Eric Jones, Chase Elliott, last year's Daytona 500 winner, Michael McDowell, Alex Bowman, and the closer, Kevin Harvick. That's a really great top 10 finishing order. And like you said, Nathan, to go the entire stage three without a caution flag. I don't know if we're going to see that again anytime soon in the stage era of racing, but certainly from my perspective, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I'm glad that we didn't see anything crazy like we did at Daytona um, in terms of wrecks, but more of what I'd like to see, which is great competition on the racetrack. It's kind of hard to segue into this next topic, um, but we do have to talk about it. I mean, I feel like we have to. It, it should get some talking points here. You know, our, obviously, when we began the show, I did talk about my thoughts about what happened with Danny Hamlin on Twitter. And I have to be honest, honest with you, I was off on Monday for my day job. and really was expecting it to be a nice slow day, ready to get some content out for you fans out there. And when I woke up from my afternoon nap, you know, I 
read the news from that was shared in our group chat about what Danny Hamlin said. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, really? I don't understand the whole point of what he was trying to do. Again, I get if he's trying to be funny, but, you know, again, like, like I said in my op-ed, a joke about race is not a joke. And racism in any form or fashion, it's just not something that belongs at all. You know, as I said in my op-ed, I want to know that others of other Asian ethnicities can feel welcomed with their comrades and not feel like, oh, I'm going to get harassed. I'm going to be subjected to racism and it's going to be cloaked as, oh, it's a joke. Get over it. You know, you know, um, you know, Nathan, I know you and I talked about this and hopefully tonight after this recording, I'm going to get more sleep because I mean, it shouldn't have bothered me, but it did because it's about my people and I don't like that. I don't think it's cool. And I expected better from Denny. I know he's going to go to sensitivity training and it's a start, but you know, is this going to be, is this really the culture of NASCAR to, you know, what's going on? Like, I don't know, Nathan, like it's just disturbing to say the least. Yeah. It's obviously um, a really difficult situation. Obviously, you know, Hamlin should have not tweeted that and, and kind of realized uh, some of the ill effects of, of what he was saying or what he was trying or what he was intending to doing. To, to, intending to do um you know my, my guess is he in, in intended for it to be a joke and obviously didn't come off as that way to um to many people and, and nascar is going to try to well he, he's going to have to go to sensitivity training beginning this week before um before richmond so that that's obviously a start there but um you know nascar needs to be consistent when it comes to examples of, of racism within the sport. I mean, obviously they've done, you know, a lot for the, for the black community lately and to, to try to make NASCAR more inclusive as a whole. Um, and and they, they need to stay consistent on it, whether it's, you know, about, you know, black people or Asian people or, or whoever. So um, if they want to, you know, if they want to keep trying to grow and develop the sport, they have to, to, to come down hard on it and they have to be, they have to be firm on it. They have to be consistent on it. Um, or, or else there, you know, people will, will spot those irregularities in, 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 in their rulings and, and their decisions. And um, they, they just need to be consistent about it. And, and, and you know, that's, you know, their, their inclusive, their diversity and inclusiveness efforts is, you know, is one of the reasons why NASCAR ratings have, have, have gone up. They've gotten, they've gotten better here over the last handful of seasons. So um, if, if they continue to be, you know, consistent about that and, and come down on Hamlin about that and, you know, expose Hamlin for that. Um, then th- that's the right thing. So, so they're, you know, they're consistent about it. They continue, continue to grow the sport in all aspects. That's for sure. I mean, that's exactly what my point was in the op-ed. And I'm glad you understood that is that if the sport is going to continue to grow, if it's going to have future talents, you're going to have fans in the grandstands. We are done with how it was in the past. You know, there's a lot more pit crew members who are black. There's more women in the sport. There's not much Asians, but we know we're trying to get there. And, you know, certainly a situation like this, the, you know, it's certainly not going to help the cases to bring Asians to the racetrack. You know, some Asian fans out there are like, well, I took it as a joke, you know, ha ha ha. It's probably true. And that's kind of the problem too, with, you know, Asians dealing with racism and you have two groups of it. You have people like me who are going to be vocal about it because as I told you off channel, and I'm going to share very briefly with the fans, I was unfortunately exposed to racism at the age of eight. 
I was a little kid and I should not have been exposed to it. You know, I didn't know what race was. I just knew what people were, you know, were you nice? Were you mean? Did you have any things going on in your life? Sort of those, sort of those types of traits. I didn't look at the color of your skin or, you know, what kind of people you liked, if you were rich or poor. And when I was, I saw my family get, getting subjected to an act of racism in my old hometown in Massachusetts, it was just really tough. And ever since then, it's like, I've been hypervigilant about it. Just kind of like, oh boy, does this person really think of me this way? Are they going to approach my family this way? You know, and I have a nephew and niece. They're both half Filipino. And I shudder to think that when they get older, if the world is going to either progress and hopefully not delineate people by their ethnicity and race, but by how they are, not who they are. And like I said, at the top of the show, I just hope Danny Hamlin, I hope those fans out there that are like, it's a joke. It's a joke. No, it's not a joke. The joke's on you if you think it's funny. And for those who are confused, I get it. If you're not Asian, you probably don't understand it. But if, you're not, if you are Asian, you, you, you should be upset by it. And if you're not Asian, and you're, you're at least taking the time to understand why it's not great. Then I appreciate your efforts on that. And I hope that, you know, that people learn and grow from this. Because NASCAR should be welcoming others, like you said. It's not just it should be uh, an irregularity of, like, we're going to welcome Blacks, welcome women, maybe some Latinos and Mexicans. But if you're Asian, nah, you're the model minority. I recommend you folks read the op-ed. It's really all I have to say about it. And, you know, I just hope Danny Hamlin understands the ramifications of his actions. I don't know if he will quite honestly but i hope the nascar industry doesn't feel this way about our uh, asian people and if they do then i don't know if i want to keep continuing to cover the sport and i love it you know i've loved it since i was five and it's just disheartening to think that somebody with the great success of danny hamlin views us like this and targeted his friend quote-unquote friend i don't know if i want a friend like that nathan i'd rather have friends that are going to look at me and treat me nicely versus you know targeting me for my ethnicity and race, but we've said what we've had to say here. And, you know, I hope that the listeners on campus or listening to our podcast, take some time to think about this because it certainly hits home for me and I want to feel like I belong. And hopefully I do. But I realized that was a really serious topic, but it had to be talked about. And I really hope folks at home, you know, wherever you are or in the racetrack, just think about it. You know, if you're, not understanding why it's such a serious thing you know you should talk to your friend or family member who may be you know familiar with the situation think of your friends who may be asian like me um, out there because it does impact us more than what we indicate let's try to move on and get to our final two topics here for this post talladega pre-dover edition of podium perspectives here on tpf live and this one kind of stays in the joe gibbs family but it's for a different reason. And it was kind of interesting, you know, leading up to Talladega, that Kyle Busch, he kind of seemed like he was uncertain about whether he'd be back at Joe Gibbs Racing. Now, it's no secret, of course, that Mars uh, Corporation or Mars Inc., the company that's behind M&Ms and all of those subsidiaries that you see on his 18 car, they're not coming back after this year. So he leaves a huge gap in sponsorships as of this recording. 
for the 18 team after this year. So Kyle Bush, of course, he was hoping to secure a long, like, you know, his last, next contract, which let's be honest, could be one of his final contracts ever as a cup driver. And it, <laughs> he didn't really voice confidence in that particular situation, but you know, it is only the second quarter of the season and things are likely to change. And it would be foolish if Joe Gibbs racing lets Kyle Busch go, but Nathan, you know, having covered the sport now for a while, and obviously you've covered other sports where you've seen athletes sort of give the heart talk about, Oh, I may be walking away. I'm going to be going, you know, what do you read of the situation with Kyle Busch? Because it's just crazy to think of a situation, a world rather in NASCAR where he is not going to be driving for Gibbs. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you this for free. I think Joe or Kyle Busch isn't going anywhere at all. I mean, there's, there's no chance he leaves Joe Gibbs racing in my eyes, obviously. Um, obviously he's looking for a new sponsor and that and sponsorship is so much in NASCAR and, you know, Joe Gibbs is going to have to pay him a lot of money and Kyle Busch is going to want a lot of money to stay with that team. But um, I, you know, I'm, I'm fully confident that they'll be able to get that sponsorship, that sponsorship. I mean, Kyle Busch is a brand name in NASCAR. Even people who don't really watch NASCAR know who Kyle Busch is. He, he just, he has such a brand and, you know, he's so well known. So I, I, I'm absolutely sure that, that he'll stay with Joe Gibbs racing. Now the, the banter that he had with the media over the weekend was definitely a little bit interesting You kind of get your eyes peeled. I don't, um, don't really know why he does that or kind of likes to do that with the media sometimes, but um, you know, you know what it's doing. It's getting more eyes on him though. And, you know, people know that um, you know, when, when Jeff Glock or Bob Pockris or any of those guys are, are, are there filming that conversation, um, it's obviously going to trend on Twitter and more people are going to see it. And maybe that person could be, could be some perspective company that could, all of, a sudden, all of a sudden sign him for 15 races and boom, sponsorship's done. Now it can just, you know, sign off on the deal. So could be his own little marketing strategy just to try to get, uh, get more eyes on him. Uh, I don't really know why he likes to do that, but um, I'm, I have the fullest confidence he'll be back with Joe Gibbs racing. Now I know that, uh, I know that Ty Gibbs is coming. I'll say that. I uh, don't really know what, um, what, what'll, what'll happen with that situation with, you know, with, with Ty Gibbs and, Kyle Busch and, and Martin Truex Jr., who, I mean, Truex Jr., that's another kind of wrinkle into this whole, you know, Joe Gibbs racing thing is I believe his contract also expires at the end of this season as well. Um, so we'll kind of just, uh, we'll just have to see. I think Kyle Busch is, is going to stay here, though, even though even though Ty Gibbs is coming. And uh, it's a matter of time until he probably gets one of those rides in the Cup Series. But um, I certainly can't um, imagine Kyle Busch driving like a Ford or something. And there's certainly not very many teams that can, uh, can, can pay him. There's only about probably about two or three other teams that can pay him. That's Penske, which is full Stuart Haas, which is going to have one open seat at the end of the year. And Hendrick, which is has all four of the drivers aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So uh, Kyle Busch is going to stay with kids. I'll, I'll tell you that for certain. That's a really good assessment of the situation, just because of the fact that, Sometimes athletes will do the hard talk just to kind of get what they want. You know, you see that in the stick and ball sports where sometimes an athlete will be like, well, I don't know if I'm going to come back. And I think that's it for me. And then a month or two later, they iron out a deal that keeps them around for the long term. So it's no different in NASCAR where you'll sometimes see drivers playing hardball or in this case, the hard compound tire and a little bit of a dad joke right there. Um, Kyle Busch sometimes likes to stir the pot. 
Uh, I'm not saying he's a bad person for doing that. Um, I think just like Kimi Raikkonen from Formula One and like some of these sort of enigma athletes, sometimes they just like to live up to their persona or just kind of throw people for a loop because it might be the opposite of what's going on um, in terms of the situation over with him, at least with Joe Gibbs Racing. It just, it would be weird. I don't think he would walk away from Gibbs just because number one, I'm not saying he's like, you know, too old to be a NASCAR driver, but he and I are both, you know, he's 37, I'm 36 going on 37. Uh, That's still young in life, but in the world of NASCAR, that's a bit getting up there to the, you know, your final legs, if you will, at least the beginning of your final legs in NASCAR. Cause look at people like Martin Truex, Danny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick now in their early to mid forties. And the reality is, is that unfortunately, even good athletes start to see their, their uh, performance and their abilities slip a little bit. So remains to be seen, you know, you're going to be at the race shack this weekend. I don't know if I want to challenge you to ask Hal Bush his status for next season. Although I don't think he'll tell you much because obviously they're probably negotiating things, but if he happens to be talking about that in the media center, I'm pretty sure you'll be hearing that whether you've asked him, Nathan, or somebody else has asked him, which let's be real. Somebody will probably ask him about that. I know I would just to kind of see what his reaction would be, but we'll be talking about that situation as the season progresses. And who knows, maybe in episode 27, you know, we were just, I at least was worrying about nothing and Nathan's going to be spot on with that to say the least. Now for this last topic, kind of like what we did on the post-coda pre-Richmond edition, topic four is going to be all Nathan's because he's going to the racetrack. He's got to see photographers again. This time, of course, like I said, uh, Josh Jones and Sam Drace. So Nathan, I know you have been working on some great things for the Monster Mile and as a press time, I understand you've got some great, great stuff. Don't have to give them away, I know, but um, at least kind of talk about what you're looking forward to with the Monster Mile. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to being there. First of all, it's actually it's pretty cool. So I go to um, I go on vacation, and I don't know if anybody listening is familiar with the area, Ocean City, Maryland, and so it's on it's on the eastern shore, obviously, and. Um, to, to get to Ocean City, you'd always have to drive through, you know, through the heart of Delaware. So I'd, every time when I, you know, as a, as a kid, when I'd grow up, I'd, I'd grow up going to Ocean City and I'd, I'd drive past Dover. So I'd never been there as for, for any, any reason before, like I've never been there for a race or anything. I actually think I have um, a picture probably when I was like, when I had just started getting to NASCAR, probably seven or eight years old of, of me, like in front of the monster um, on my way, on my way to vacation. So that's, I've been on the property before, but um, I'm, I'm just really excited to be there though, to check, check off another track off the list. Um, finally get to some oval tracks because the first two races I covered were non-oval tracks, road course and the triangle. So, um, that'll be fun, but I'll be there all weekend. Um, be there Friday for, well, starting with Xfinity practice leading into all the Arca East stuff. Um, good field there. Roger Carew, Taylor Gray, a bunch of others. Um, Saturday, of course, will be the big, big beanie day of, as always, uh, cup practice and qualifying, couple pen, obviously be uh, sticking my nose in there. Um, and, the, and then, of course, the Xfinity race. So um, to be a fun day, Sunday, of course, is, um, is, is the cup race. So over the three days, I'll definitely be getting a lot of content, doing a lot of interviews, whether they're longer interviews for um, longer sided or longer features or 
um, you know, shorter interviews in the bullpen for, for smaller features or Twitter content. So definitely make sure to keep your eyes peeled on the Twitter throughout the weekend um, for, for the latest news and videos from, uh, from the race. I kind of like that I was doing from Richmond and definitely be posting uh, some of the stuff I do with, uh, with drivers on there. So um, we'll be doing a lot. Obviously our, our two photographers, Sam and Josh will be out there in the, um, or around the track, capturing some of the scenes for our, for the next couple of weeks of content, since I don't think we have anybody at the track for a little while afterwards, but um, should be a great weekend. I'm excited to, uh, to again, be at basically two races within a month, um, get the TPF name out there, get the TPF brand out there and, uh, just keep, keep creating content for our, uh, our loyal fans. And I'm looking forward to it myself just because, uh, it's always great to have a full team, if you will, at a racetrack and that full team to me is a reporter and a photographer. And when we can have all of the, the folks that can do all of that at the racetrack, certainly from my side of things, even though I do it remotely for the most part, it makes it a lot better to say the least. And one other thing to talk about too, is with the Dover race weekend, we have the last dash for cash race, of course, on the Xfinity side. So Noah Gregson, who won Talladega, Landon Castle, who won the dash, dash for cash bonus also again at Talladega. And he did so, I think, at Martinsville too. So that's twice he's won it. And then um, Landon Castle is going to be there, and Ryan Sieg will be the final Dash for Cash entrant. So lots to look forward to in terms of Dover Motor Speedway action. It'll be interesting so course- on the Xfinity side, too, because uh, remember back at Richmond, the last race I did, uh, last lap, Ty Gibbs moved, uh, moved John Hunter Nemechek for the win. Saturday, John Hunter Nemechek's back in that same car, so we'll see if there's any, uh, any lingering drama between the Toyota teammates. You never know. And the funny thing is, is I think of those two as the heir parents to the cup ride side of things on Gibbs uh, program. So <laughs> it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, I know the Overboater Speedway is sort of like a bristle on steroids, but it doesn't mean that you can't have a bit of casual contact along the way. So that's a storyline I'm now actually looking forward to on Saturday. <laughs> so it should be fun. And of course, if you're looking to see all the action, of course, be sure to follow Nathan at nsolly 2 our main Twitter account at the Pony Finish, and we'll get all that content out there for you folks. So stay tuned, and we hope you check it out. Um, we're looking forward to it. Let's get on to our final segment here very shortly, and I hope you all enjoyed this particular segment, Podium Perspectives. If you and Nate, uh, you rather, you folks out there want us to talk about a specific topic, Please tweet to us. Again, Nathan's is nsolly 2 I'm at Rob T. Onksen. Or tweet to our main Twitter account at the podium finish, and we'll do our best to you know pick your topic. And if we do, we'll send you a prize. What that prize is, is for me to know and for you to find out. And anyways, folks, let's get on to it. It is time for the hot seat. <laughs> And as I said at the beginning of this show, it is a bit of a double billing episode in terms of our interviews. And because our interviews are a bit longer, we're just going to introduce each of them. In this case, I'll introduce my interview with Daniel Hemrick, and then you'll hear from Nathan afterward to talk about his interview with Raja Karuth. Now, in my case with Daniel Hemrick, this was conducted during the Atlanta Motor Speedway race weekend. So some topics may not be totally fresh, but still 
carry some weight and relevance. But Henrik really seems pumped about his new situation at College Racing. And of course, being the pride of Kannapolis, North Carolina, along with the Earnhardt clan. And the interesting thing about Daniel Henrik, of course, as we talked about on our very first episodes of TPF Live, is that his first Xfinity race win happened to be the same race that he won the Xfinity Series Championship. But what did it mean to him? You know, what did it mean to carry the pride of Kannapolis, North Carolina, to now be at this new home with Call It Racing? And how did he describe himself as a race car driver? All of those questions and much more will be answered because Daniel Hemrick, you're going to be taking away right now in the hot seat. Enjoy, folks. Daniel, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today for the Podium Finish and Podium Finish Live podcast. Uh, if it's not too late for me to say so, congratulations on winning last year's Xfinity Series Championship. How much did it mean to you to celebrate your first win in any NASCAR division and celebrate your first ever championship with your family and friends at Phoenix last year? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a big deal. Um, obviously, in the moment of, you know, how big the stage was and to do what we were able to do as a group in that particular moment on that platform, yeah, it was something that, you know, dreams are dreams are made of, uh, not only from my side, but our team guy's side, just having that game seven moment and having that right in front of us and us actually rising the occasion and, and taking advantage of it. Obviously, like I said, something that, that I'll, uh, you know, something that, first of all, they can never take from us, but Secondly, stuff that's, you know, burned within us forever. So, yeah, we're, I'm super, super, uh, thankful and, and grateful for the way it turned out. And just as importantly, just trying to now continue to focus on, on what's forward and trying to figure out how, uh, how to put the pieces of the puzzle, uh, together to give ourselves the opportunity to go do it again. Absolutely. You know, you're getting settled with your new racing home and college racing. And certainly that's an organization that knows how to contend for championships, as we saw last year with AJ Almendinger, your new teammate. So how has the adjustment been like for you to work with your number 11 team and your crew chief, Alex Yons? It's been good, man. I, you know, I've obviously, you know, raced against the colleague racing companies for quite some time now. And what, what Matt Colleague has instilled within, within everyone here at colleague racing from Chris Rice to, you know, you know, down to Alex Yons and all the leaders within our group, you know, it's been special to learn and build and be a part of that culture. Um, obviously we're still very young within our relationship with one another, but there are a lot of familiar faces here, colleagues that I've worked with at other other organizations and, and different race teams in the past. So it's been good, just uh, like I say, getting to know each other and trying to uh, figure out what makes you know one another tick. And and um, you know it's obviously a little a little interesting now with our practices and limited adjustments that we can make and whatnot. But you know it's made us really have to hone in on on our data points here at the beginning of the year to try to figure out what we all got to do and how we can all pull the rope in the same direction to be better. For sure, and I noticed too with Hollywood Racing, it's very high energy, very enthusiastic type of racing um, energy that they have. So certainly, that's probably got to be either an adjustment for you or probably something that you've always wanted to have with the racing team. I would imagine. Yeah, I feel like you know, like I said, the energy Matt Colley brings, you know, that that stream runs right downhill, and um, you know, to have that bleed over to to Chris Rice and you know, within our organization, you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot of energy. A lot of positivity, a lot of, you know, everybody wanting to see the direction the company continue to move forward and make sure we're having fun along the way. Um, you know, having teammates like AJ Almanager and, and Landon Castle and Justin Haley, they, they all, you know, share the same, same, um, you know, same outlook on, on where we want to get to and, and how we want to get there and, and the amount of fun we want to have along the way. Um, so I'm thankful to, 
to, you know, to be a new integral part of all that. Um, just trying to, trying to, you know, completely buy into the system and, and believe it and trust it. And, um, yeah, I think along the way, it also allows you to be yourself and, and do your, do and go about, you know, your particular race weekends and your job, um, in your own particular way too. So it's fun to have, have my own identity, but yet have a support system with everyone here at College Racing like we do. Certainly. And, you know, you've got some great teammates as well in the Xfinity program. I know you're working with Landon Castle, who I believe you race go-karts with when you guys were growing up. And, of course, A.J. Allmendinger with his vast experience in all of motorsports. And, of course, when you race in the cup side of things with the number 16 team, you've got Justin Haley and his number 31 team to rely on as well. What is it like to have this dynamic in relationship with these drivers and be able to turn to them to collaborate on new ideas, such as this race weekend at Atlanta? Yeah, I feel like amongst teammates, you know, our dynamics and our backgrounds are vastly different, and our experiences have been very different. But in the roundabout way, we've all tried to have to, you know, fight and claw and different. Everybody has to within this sport to try to reach the pinnacle of it. Um, obviously, AJ has been incredibly successful, has so much knowledge and so much racing, just information embedded with him with all the different motorsports forms that he's been a part of and been successful in each and every one of them. And then you got Landon, you know, hot off of, you know, having having an opportunity, you know, growing up and having some of that stuff fizzle out, having to, you know, completely go about trying to revamp his, his career, try to find a, a good home and very thankful for him and, and how he's uh, been able to find his place here at College Racing. And, and he is definitely rising to the occasion, which is cool to see. And then, you know, Justin Haley's actually, you know, got, I've known him, you know, racing late models some throughout you know, the Indiana, you know, area, you know, the Midwest there, you know, late model racing, seeing him grow as, as a, as a, as a young man. And heck, he, he drove my electric car for me back, you know, probably 2012, 13, 14, somewhere in there. So it's funny to see all this kind of come full circle on that front. So yeah, just uh, a lot of, a lot of different personalities, but yet all share, you know, one desire to try to build college racing into the future to be the best we can be the best and the strongest that we can be. So. Yeah, it's fun to, fun to lean on those guys for all of us to challenge one another, but challenge one another as we're pulling the rope to the same direction. It's just so cool because of the fact you mentioned about that full circle relationship, especially with Justin driving your Legends car in 2012, which I think that's really cool how things kind of work out uh, in a way and goes to show uh, where, you know, if you help lend a helping hand, you just never know when that relationship may come back and hopefully be an ally on your side um, years down the road. So I think that's so cool and Another uh, nice dynamic about your situation is that Call of Racing, at least on the Xfinity side, you kind of touched upon this earlier, but it seems to be the home of three competitive racers, super talented, but had to struggle along the way, you know, either with part-time opportunities or being in the midfield team before you found your home at College. You know, at least with your situation, how did you balance those emotional ups and downs while keeping your confidence and faith intact? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just through experience, you learn how to manage exactly what you asked about. You learn how to manage, you know, those tasks, and you, you learn how to um, kind of make the most of the situation, yet also building on, on what's ahead. Um, you know, and looking ahead, you got to also take care of what's right in front of you at the, at the present time. But I think with our experience and all of us, you know, being within the sport for quite some time now, you know, it does allow us to take advantage of those moments right in front of us, but know that we have a plan, um, kind of what we're doing, what we're seeing, what we're feeling within our race team, you know, present time, you know, trying to keep that bigger outlook on, 
of like the, what's what's down the road. What do we need to be focused towards? So it's uh it's been fun to see everybody's experience kind of show up within our competition meeting. Um, you know, within you know how we're approaching the the, the following weekends and. Yeah, I think just you know, honestly, just like I said, the experience within the sport and different, you know, different and other race teams and organizations, right? You try to learn something and grow and develop yourself throughout all those different experiences, and there's always something to be taken from all those experiences as well. So it's been fun to see everybody utilize those things as we continue now to, like I said, to build together and try to try to continue to be better going down the road. And I think that's certainly the goal in mind, not only for the short term but the long term for. Each of you as individuals, each of you with trying to build college racing and just overall building into what's been one of the most competitive divisions in all of racing, which is the Xfinity Series, certainly um, not just your typical number two series in any kind of global motorsport series around the world. Now, you take a lot of pride in being from Canabas, North Carolina, a town that's also home to the Earnhardt family, and I got to visit it last year, and I have to say it's really charming, really a a nice little slow-paced town, but, you know, how did growing up and living in Canapolis shape you into the man that you are today on and off the racetrack? Yeah, I feel like, you know, growing up in, in that area and just, um, you know, kind of seeing that's our part name, you know, learning some of the history within the family, how, you know, nothing was given, nothing was given to the Earnhardt yet when faced with that adversity, continue to show up, continue to put the work in. Um, and that led to the town continuing to rally behind him and, and the entire Earnhardt name. And, you know, being from that town and seeing, seeing that kind of pride within, you know, the town of Kannapolis, seeing everyone rally and, and just honestly seeing, you know, the Earnhardt name grow, uh, and develop to what it became was, was unbelievable. Obviously that stake was already way in the ground before I ever even came along, but, um, to, Live so close to Dale Hart Incorporated to be able to drive by the DEI building, the old DEI building, and as a kid and be able to see, man, you tell me this guy from this area with really nothing, no money, no real monetary of any kind, you know, to his name, be able to build this later in life by just continuing to work hard, showing up, build relationships. You know, that was really all the, uh, as a kid, like being able to see that was like, man, this is completely attainable. If you team to do your part. So, yeah, I felt like that was a, you know, a big, big key to, to me kind of growing and, and, and learning what was attainable if you, if you team to put the work in. So, yeah, I feel like it was a crucial part of, of my development as a, as a kid into a, like I said, into a young racer and young man. And, um, yeah, I always, always cherish where I grew up and the support of, of NASCAR and our great sport. That's really cool to hear that just because a lot of folks, when they move from home, typically try to think forward, which you have, of course, but it's just so nice to hear you speak so fondly about, about where you're from and have pride in being the native son of Kannapolis and continuing on, of course, what the Earnhardt built many years ago and what you're doing today with Colleg Racing. I think that is such a awe-inspiring reaction to hear, and it's just, wow, I, I don't know how much I can talk that question for you. Uh, but I'll I appreciate that. Yeah, of course, my friend. I got a couple more questions because I know practice is coming up real soon for y'all. Um, you know, if you had to be a journalist wearing my shoes, how would you describe yourself? I mean, and you have to choose three different words to describe yourself. What three words would you choose and why? Oh man, that's a that's a great question. Three words. Um, <laughs> I would say 
I, I'd honestly, I'd, I'd say stubborn, but probably one of the ones that come to mind. Obviously, uh, <laughs> me being married to a former racer, my wife, Kenzie, and, and uh, how headstrong I get about certain things. She said I can be quite stubborn when I feel passionate about something. So, um, But through that stubbornness comes a lot of passion, right? I've, I've had to maintain a certain amount of passion within everything I've ever done in my life to, to make sure I continue to show up um, and, you know, right after passion it comes resilience um you know i feel like you know it's obviously always kind of odd in my opinion to, to speak about yourself so it's a little tough answering this but you know resilience is probably the other word i mean been faced with so much adversity and and uh and, and everyone honestly has in some form or fashion throughout their life but throughout that process of being faced with that just continue to show up and uh and and do exactly what i talked about earlier put the work in it takes a a lot of resiliency to, to be able to, to um, continue to look that in the face, continue to show up and put your work in. So those are probably three that come right to mind as we speak here today. I love that. I think you describe yourself to a team would be the same exact words I would use when I describe you and your future coming up on the podium finish. So I think you should be writing this article instead of me for a change. No, I'm kidding. I'll, I'll be <laughs> of course. And you I'm going to let you stick to it. Yeah, exactly. My last question for you is, you know, Hollywood approached you and they were like, hey, we want to make a Daniel Hamrick racing movie about your life on and off the racetrack. Which actor would you choose to play you? i got to tell you, I've, I've actually got this question a couple of times in the past, within the last year, and I never know exactly how to answer that question. I'm always going about it in a way that um, – I'm terrible when it comes to knowing actors' names or, or you know, who should play you or any of that stuff. So I don't know. I feel like there's no better way to connect to somebody's story than to have them play. So I would uh, I'd be all about taking the task to hand and trying to do it myself. There you go. I like that. See, that's why you're going to be asking this question, and you just did. So love it, my friend. That was really awesome to hear. Well, I know practice is about what? 10, 10 to 15 minutes from now, and I know you need to get that track time out there. So I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us and hope we get to do this again later in this year. But I want to wish you the best of luck this weekend and with Coda, where I'll be covering the race next weekend. And, uh, yeah, also, too, just my dad, who's a big fan of yours, he wanted to say hi to you. And he still hasn't forgotten that experience where he, you got to greet him at New Hampshire in 2016. He's a U.S. Navy veteran. He's still so touched by the fact that you, you thanked him for his service. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you again for our service. And, uh, yeah, for sure, always cool to be able to shake the hands of those. So, so much of hi. I appreciate it. And uh, it's a good chat with you. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Daniel Hebrick in the first half of In the Hot Seat. And, Nathan, you're going to be taking it away because it's now time to introduce your particular interview with Roger Carruth. Sure. So this is obviously very good timing for this because uh, Roger's back in the number 44 car this weekend for Alpha Prime Racing at Dover Motor Speedway, doing a little bit of a double header with the, with the ARCA race, of course, which he's running a lot of this year. Just a couple of East races, though, so a little bit of a one-off in, in that select series, if you will. But um, last time Roger raced in the Xfinity Series was at Richmond Raceway, and I, I talked to him, with him uh, the Saturday morning before uh, or really the day of the race that Saturday morning. Uh, and obviously he was very excited about this Xfinity series opportunity. Um, excited for you know everything to come in ARCA and being able to compete in the ARCA, ARCA Menard series championship right now. He is the points leader for, uh, 
Um, for the for the main Arkhamenard series, obviously, I, I the whatever points or whatever he gets on um in, in Friday's race won't count towards that season long total since it's only an East race. It's not a main race. I know there's Arca Main, Arca East, Arca West, kind of all confusing, but um, but but still, he's gonna have a great chance to win the race. Obviously, he's in very competitive equipment. Um, and, and he just talks about you know going through the through the drive for diversity and um, and 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 just being you know ha- having this opportunity in the Xfinity Series and um and in the race for a championship in Arca. So without further ado, we'll roll into uh, the second part of the hot seat interview. Raja Karuth at Richmond Raceway. Raja, first, um, you know, obviously, you know, you grew up in Washington D.C. Talk a little bit about your life, just you know, growing up there. Yeah, growing up in D.C. was great. I mean, I was pretty much a normal kid. I went to middle school, Stuart Hobson, high school, school that walls, ran track, played basketball, played soccer, um, was uh, in clubs and stuff, and went to dances and, and like basketball and soccer games to support my classmates. And I mean, I was, it was a normal high school life, man. And uh, unfortunately, it was cut short by COVID, but up until the very end, it was really normal high school. And then towards the end of it is when racing kind of started for me but um, overall it was awesome how did that start how did you get to racing so like given context of like always i've always had that interest and it developed into a passion to get into racing and so i started racing virtually in 2018 on iRacing and the year after i was uh, fortunate enough to be able to try out for nascar draft for the rest of the youth program and make the team for that first summer and uh, I guess putting that into perspective, like I got on iRacing the summer between sophomore and junior year. Um, I had a summer job, I had track practice, and I sim raced. That was my whole summer, and so um, that was that was fun. And then the year after, you know, junior junior to senior year, and I spent that whole summer in, in North Carolina racing legend cars. So that's kind of how I started, and kind of leads it up to the end of high school. Um, how did iRacing um, sort of serve as that? that launch pad to, to get your career kind of going? I mean, it was my only shot. I didn't have any connections. I didn't know anybody. I didn't go grow up going to the racetrack. I didn't grow up any with any real attachment besides being a fan of racing. And so iRacing was my only shot. And I put all, put all the eggs in that basket, and luckily it worked out. Um, when you finally got that opportunity to, to do real racing, you know, race those legends cars, how were you able to, to adapt to, to real life racing? Because I'm sure that's a heck of a lot different than, than I racing. Yeah, man, that first year was so hard. It, it was really difficult, but um, eventually I kind of got the hang of it towards the latter half of 2020. But man, that first year was really hard just being really new to I racing, period. And then let alone getting into to real life stuff you know I was kind of honestly learning to discipline two different iterations of the same thing and so eventually though and like now at this point like I can really go from back back and forth and be be fine I can really use our racing as a tool and vice versa so um last year you raced um the Arca East series with with Rev Racing just kind of what was that that experience like getting that first national level experience yeah Arca was great last year or Canaan East, Arc East, and I learned a lot. You know, it's it's really hard to compete against the um, the Gibbs, the GMSs, the the GGRs, and um, but we did that. You know, and we were able to run up front a little bit and 
uh, get some good TV time. I just really wish could have got a win and uh, a lot of could have, should have, would have last year. But I mean, I was still very early in my development process, and I'm still pretty early in it. But I learned a lot last year with Rev and Max Siegel and, and Chevy, and it was thankful to have a good group of guys last year. And now, not only do we have a, a better group of guys at Rev, but we got a great group of them over here at Alpha Prime. Um, in August, Alpha Prime Racing was was formed, um, and you were really the first driver announced outside of Tommy Joe and Caesar. Just um, kind of, how did that relationship with those two start? Uh, so basically. Like around kind of April, May last year, like there was a lot of gaps between ARCA races and there was going to be more gaps in the summer. And I was only running like a couple late model races and it was hard to compete against guys that were in race cars every week, whether it was uh, straight rail late models or perimeter late models or Xfinity trucks, Trans Am, you know, you, you name it. And I was just sitting for weeks and I wasn't going to get better, especially since I'm so inexperienced with just sitting. So we really just started looking into different ways to more opportunities to race and fortunately around Dover I was running well and we had the tire failure and uh, Tommy reached out and said I did great and stuff and um, a couple months forward Brad Perez connects Tommy and I because I me and Brad you know we're really close and had our conversation about like hey I feel like I've got a shot I just gotta be in the car more and so he connected me with Tommy and things kind of started towards the middle of July. Um, you have six races on your Xfinity schedule this year. I'm sure you're looking forward to today, but um, is, is there one track or one race in particular that you're really looking forward to? Probably this one. This one, I'm honestly, all of them, man. I, I can't pick just one, all for different reasons. Like, I'm excited for this one because it's a home race. Never driven on this racetrack before. Dover, I feel like I'm, I can be really competitive there, especially after having laps there last year. Pocono is going to be fun, shifting and stuff. Kansas, I ran there in, in the Arca car last year. Martinsville, I mean, it's it's Martinsville. Ran the late model race there, or tried to make it and blew up. But uh, Martinsville was fun, and Phoenix is, is a fun racetrack with, with the glue on the track and uh, the little cut through. So I'm excited for every race, but for all for different reasons. And the fact that I get to race a car is pretty awesome. Um, you can kind of be racing on all different types of tracks, you know, short tracks like Richmond and Martinsville, and then your bigger tracks like Kansas and, and, and Pocono, your higher speed tracks. Um, how important is it to, to get that experience on, on all different types of tracks as you kind of look to, to progress through your career and you kind of start to move up through the ranks? I mean, it's really important. It's it's important to be versatile because you can't just go to the same type of racetracks and expect to only be good there when you've got six road courses. In Cub, you've got six road courses, you've got six short tracks, you got the six plate tracks and six mile and a half, so, and the dirt race, so you have to be versatile. And I grew up I say grew up like I haven't done it. It had like it hasn't been three years, but uh, that's where I learned a lot of the key lessons in racing so far is through short track stuff. And now I've got to learn the big tracks, so I'm gonna need to learn it. And I welcome the challenge. And you know, as well as doing the Xfinity stuff, you're also full time in the ARCA main series. Um, and you already have a couple races under your belt there. How would you just evaluate that start with the uh, ARCA team? I mean, it. The man, I. I mean, to be second in points right now is pretty awesome. I know it's only two races in, but Brad Parrott came on along this winter, and our chemistry has been great. And t Daytona was just kind of, you know, you can't, with the Venery Monopoly and, you know, them always get a good qualifying group. It is what it is, but run well at Phoenix and drive all the way up to second. It's, uh, it's 
pretty big. So I think that helped me a lot for this race just because, I mean, for a confidence standpoint, from a just being in the car standpoint. So I think the ARCA year, I'm going to give it a B plus right now. And the only reason it's not an A is because I messed up the last restart at Phoenix. But learned a lot, and I feel comfortable going into Talladega and Dover with that car next. Um, you had a rookie test with, with this Xfinity car. How comfortable did you get with that car at New Smyrna, and, and how can that translate to today? Yeah, I got pretty comfortable. Um, I think the first two first couple runs, I was a little bit nervous because, like with the Arca Elmores, like they kind of just, the, the rate of speed kind of doles out at the middle of the straightaway, and you don't keep accelerating, whereas the Xfinity car, or the Xfinity engine, it just keeps pulling, you know, halfway down the back straightaway, and so that was like a in the seat like oh god I'm moving I had to slow down and so eventually got that out of me and I felt pretty comfortable by the end of the day so I feel good that I'll be able to fire off comfortably this morning what are your goals for this race my goals are to hit my marks hit pit road correctly and manage my race well with good decision making so if I do that then there's no reason I shouldn't finish at least top 20 and my final question for you what do you hope to accomplish this season in both Xfinity and Arca in Arca, I want to win the Drivers' Championship. I know a lot of things have to happen for that to occur, and it's hard to, to set a, a finishing result because so many things are out of your control. But I know that if I do what I'm supposed to do every race and I do what I'm supposed to do off the racetrack, then I'm going to be in contention for the Drivers' Championship. And in the Xfinity car with Alpha Prime, I want to have quiet and solid runs. Again, if I do what I'm supposed to do on and off the track, away from and at the track then that way um that way you can have solid top 20 top 15 runs every race awesome well that was the hot seat interview with roger caruth nathan great job as always with your interviews and i'm glad that you got a chance to talk to roger during the richmond race weekend and i hope you fans at home also enjoyed hearing from daniel hemrick during the atlanta race weekend and i'm glad that we got to have a bit of an xfinity double header here uh, for TPF Live. Well, before we wrap up this edition of TPF Live on the podcast side of things, you know, again, it seemed like a it was great to have a bit of an Xfinity doubleheader on our hot seat. And in terms of episode 28, we're going to be heading into the month of May. So, of course, that means there's a lot on tap in terms of motorsports action. And as of right now, honestly, I don't know who's going to be in the hot seat for next week. Which is kind of cool because it could be somebody that uh, you talk to at Dover. Could be somebody that we talked to beforehand. I don't know. I love uncertainty sometimes with, with the hot seat. But Nathan, of course, um, looking forward to what you roll out from Dover Motor Speedway. Um, and, oh, I forgot to ask about our picks. So let's try to do that to close out the show. Um, you know, obviously, I really won't make a prediction on Arca East because it's a small field. And I'm not really familiar with it, but on the Xfinity side of things, I'll throw it in RKE since he's on the show. Roger Cruz, why not? Okay, I'll voice confidence for Roger Cruz, so he'll win the race. That's about the only thing that matters in that race. And uh, actually, I do know for a fact that next week, as of press time, we will have a special guest host. So, speaking of Arca, if you listen to one of our earlier episodes. You, of course, got to know Amber Slagle, who is a graphic installer, crew chief, jack of all trades, and a race car driver in the Arca West series. Well, Amber is going to be joining us as our special guest host 
with me and you. Uh, so kind of like the Fox booth having a special guest, well, we get them to folks. <laughs> so we'd have to coax them with money. They just like to show up when they can. But um, getting back to predictions. Yeah, I'll go with Roger. Why not? On the Xfinity side of things, this is tough. I'm going to go with the guy that's been at one at Talladega. Why not? Noah Gregson. When he starts winning races, it tends to be by the bunches. So seems like a safe pick. And on the cup side of things, this one's tough because we all know last year we had the full horsepower package, shorter spoiler situation, which led to Hendrick Motorsports taking a one, two, three, four finish. Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, William Byron taking the top four spots. I don't think they're going to do that again this year, but I, I do think it stays within the organization. And I say Kyle Larson, he's going to win this race on Sunday. Well, for Cup, I was actually going to do a, a Hendrick Motorsports pick as well. It wasn't the one you were referencing. Um, I will pick Alex Bowman to, to run it back. He's gotten off to a, a really good start this year. Obviously, like I said, he won the, won the Dove race last year and with how good Hendrick is. Uh, I will pick him to win that race. On the Xfinity side of things, I'm going to go with Justin Allgaier. He's always been pretty good there. Um, it's got an interesting sponsor on the car, the Door Bumper Clear podcast. Um, they're, they're sponsoring that car. But um, he, he's very good at Dover. Uh, he's kind of gotten up to a little bit of a rough start for his standards this season. So he's definitely due for, uh, due for a victory. It'll come at Dover. All great choices. I see that we kept it all in the Chevrolet family. So hopefully folks don't think that we were sponsored by Chevrolet. Because if we were, well, then we would be on the Chevrolet network or um, Series XM on their cars. But we're not. We're two college students. Well, undergrad student for you, grad student for me from St. Bonaventure University. And of course, do you want to give a quick shout out very quickly to St. Bonaventure University? Because it's going to be my one year since I accepted being a Bonna or Bonnie. So I'm excited to kick off my last year as a grad student. <laughs> it's been a lot of hard work. Um, hopefully I still have my hair by that time. <laughs> we'll see. But I'm really proud to be part of this institution and this great school. So I just wanted to give a big, big shout out to the Jandilly School of Communications and grateful for the friendships I have formed. And in Richley, you were right. When we Bonnies make friendships here, we are friends for life. So super cool that I have met a great friend and co-host Nathan, uh, of course, who is always awesome with the show. And why don't we end the show on a happy note because Dover Motor Speedway is waiting for you, Nathan. And of course, for Josh and Sam, as for me, of course, I am just going to be controlling the soundboard, if you will, uh, from Austin, but it will be a lot of fun. So folks, I am so glad, we're so glad rather, that you got to join us for TPF Live. We are out of time, but we hope that you will join us again for another edition of TPF Live next week. So for Nathan Solomon, Daniel Henrik and Roger Cruz, Rob Tionson, your host, saying thanks so much. Check out our podcasts from the past on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And let's get that checkered flag right now, folks. It's waiting for us. Let's get it. And until next time, everyone, so long. <laughs>